if you've um, been around for any amount of time, you'll um, know that. Oops, you'll know that um, some sequels are not. All sequels are not created equal. In fact, some sequels probably should not be made. Um, like Big Mama's House 2. Um, I'm not convinced that Big Mama's House 1 should have been made, but I shared with you a few weeks ago, we went to see Chipwrecked. Um, I'm already beginning with my kids about the chipmunks. Is that what they're called, chipmunks? All right. I'm praying that there is no chipmunks. Chipwrecked 2. I mean, they got saved from the island. Everything's cool. No need for any other, you know... Star Wars made a few uh, that were uh, not all that great, I didn't think, and Batman had uh, kind of a loser in there somewhere as a sequel, and some things, you know, they just, you don't need to go any further. I'm wondering, has Barbara Streisand done her final concert? Because, I mean, there's been a lot of final concerts, and I'm like, is this one the final one? Because the last three were the final Streisand concerts. Although she's a great singer, I'm like, when it's over, it's over, so just, you know. I, I worked with a pastor on the East Coast one time, and he uh, was a guy that had a great sense of humor, but he said awkward things and, at parties, and, you know, you, you'd kind of, you feel yourself turning them, you know, getting embarrassed, and he went to this concert where there were, um, it was uh, German love songs, and they were all in German, which is kind of cool for the first three. Um, and then after that, you know, by the time you get to number 38, you're like hoping it will be over because you, you haven't understood anything the whole night and you're getting tired of hearing the same guy sing something in another language and all that. So at the reception, the guy, you know, the singer, he, I see him coming near this pastor. I'm like, oh boy, this, this is not going to be good. And, and he, the singer said to him, so which one of the 38 uh, German leader, leader talking or something, love songs, which one did you like the best? The last one. I'm like, oh, geez, come on. I don't think the guy got it. I think, oh, the last one. Why did you like the last one? I'm like, don't ask any more questions of this man. Jeez. There's some things that you just need to be over. We're talking about punctuation these days. And uh, strangely enough, taking uh, thing, common things like Jesus did, fish, vines, and, and harvesting and planting and farming, all the things that were common. We're taking something very common to us punctuation as a reminder of Christ and how he is the punctuation mark of God in many regards. We've talked about him being the quotation of God, that life that was authentically and uniquely tied to God alone. We've talked last week about the comma, how that there are oftentimes that in our own lives, we want to put a label on ourselves, a label on other people. Oh, he's the guy that is divorced or he's the guy that's homosexual or she's the one that's on drugs or whatnot and then we put a period behind their name and behind their label and Christ is not that way. Christ is a comma maker. Christ is the one that says we're not finished here yet and regardless of who you are and what you've done we put a comma not a period. Today, however, we're going to talk about the period because there are times where there are moments that God wants to say, I'm going to say this and I'm going to put a a period behind this and nothing else needs to be said. 
There needs to be no sequel. There needs to be no addition. There needs to be nothing else here that needs to be added. There are times as a parent that this happens a lot. And we, um, you know, we tell the kids to go to bed and then they're up. And there's every, I think they have a manual that, you know, we're thirsty. Uh, we just saw something in the closet. Um, uh, my brother is snoring. Uh, all, all these different things until you get to the point, do not get out of bed again, period. Right? You use that word, period, meaning that's it. Dad has reached a limit where we, you will not survive the night if you do anything else. So period, you know, put that period on there. It's an absolute. When you look at the timeline of even our life, like if you're 30 years old, 40, 20, whatever, what we see is this erosion of the absolute. I grew up in the 60s. In the 60s, um, we saw the assassination of John Kennedy. We saw the assassination of his brother, Robert Kennedy. We saw the assassination of Martin Luther King. We began to experience a, a, a peninsula in, in Southeast Asia called Vietnam. We began to experience Woodstock and the rock and roll and, and sex revolution and drug revolution. And things began to move south in those moments in regards to our perspective about institution, authority, leadership, absolutes. And things begin to erode in those areas to the point that today absolutes are very blurry. And there, is, there are no absolutes. But I'm here to say that as much as we move and erode and blur, there are still some very important things that God says, and he puts a period after it. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Period. Nothing else needs to be said. It's an act of faith. It's also an act of intelligence in my mind to look around creation and recognize that our planet is just the exact distance from the sun as it needs to be. Just a few hundred miles in one direction would freeze us and another few hundred miles in another direction would fry us. And yet here we are rotating at the same time. I can't with any amount of intelligence just believe that that happened. I can't. For me, it's not even an act of faith. It would be more of an act of faith for me to think it just happened out of nowhere. Although I respect the fact that many people believe that. But all of that is underlined by an absolute statement that says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, period. I don't need a sequel to that. As time rolls on, things become more eroded. Absolutes become more eroded. And if you ever wanted to know where that came from, it came from ancient times beginning in the garden. The purpose of this collection, these conversations that we're having, it's to take note of some things that happened in the garden when Adam and Eve decided to basically wreck humanity and infuse in us mysteriously this sense of what we would call the human nature. The Bible calls it the flesh nature. 
those things, those passions, those desires, those things in us that we struggle with, that there's a tension in all of creation and all of humanity that none of us can deny and yet none of us can explain like how did it get infused into all of us, injected into the human race. We can think about it, think about it, go sit under an oak tree and think about it all afternoon. You won't be able to figure out, but you can't deny that it's there. And what happened there? We believe that when you look at Christ and when He comes, He restored those things that were broken and those things that were wrecked in the garden. This is the purpose of why we look at the garden all the time. We begin today in Genesis chapter 3 and in verse 1. If you brought your Bible with you, I invite you to turn there. If not, you'll have it up on the screen. Genesis chapter 1 and 2 were the stories of uh, the story of creation. It's actually told twice. Then we get to Genesis chapter 3 and things change. Dark clouds move in. Things become darker because the enemy walks in the garden that day. Now the serpent in verse 1. And I want you to take note of two words. Here's the first one. Was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God, and here's the second word, actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden. See, God made a contract with them. Most of you know the story. You can eat of any tree of the garden except that one, period. No comma, no parentheses, no semicolon, no colon, That's the way the contract reads. You can have everything except one choice. That one choice, period. The enemy comes along and his job, his craft, his craftiness, we know that craftiness means that he's sly and he's slick and he's sleazy and all those things that when you think about craftiness, but he has a craft. And when someone has a craft, it means they're very skilled at what they do. If your craft is a, is a musician, you're very skilled at it. If your craft is a, um, a, a carpenter, you're very skilled at that craft. Satan, in the form of the serpent, comes in the garden today with a craft, a skill, something that was highly developed. And his job in this moment was to soften the absolute. The absolute is a period. Don't eat from that tree. And then he comes and says, actually, did God actually say that? Let's, let's, let's re-examine that. Let's blur the lines of that. And one of the greatest crafts and skills and approaches that he takes in softening the absolute is giving us more choices in life. God said, look, I'm going to break it down. I'm going to make it easy. I'm just saying one tree, just one, just one. So the serpent comes along and says, actually, there's another choice. There is, there are more choices in life. And I don't know about you, but the more choices that I'm inundated with, the more other things erode. More choices, more erosion. More choices, more overload. More choices, more confusion. In fact, I was uh, reading in this book called The Paradox of Choice by a guy named Barry Schwartz. He writes this, The fact that some choice is good doesn't necessarily mean that more choice is better. 
There is a cost to having an overload of choice, clinging tenaciously to all the choices available to us contributes to bad decisions. I could say it actually this way. Well, I could say it in a picture. Does life seem sometimes like this picture? I mean, do do you ever feel like that? Just one more choice? Like, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I like it. Yeah, that's one more choice. Yeah, some I, there's some moments I'm looking like this pop. You know, it's like one more cupcake. And you look at the garden, you think, Adam must have felt like, yeah, yeah, I didn't think about that tree until you said something about it. Then, whoo, there is another choice, and his eyes are getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. Some of you are looking like that this morning as I'm looking in your faces. What happens from this point? I'm going to take you on a little bit of a journey now, quickly. We're going to cover 12 chapters here, just going to hit some high points in the first 12 chapters of Genesis. And here's what I want you to take note of. You can, you can go through the first 12 chapters of Genesis because 12 chapters takes us up to Abraham. And there's a reason we're going to go up to Abraham. First couple chapters, God is creating the heavens, the earth, the plants, the fields, the, the cattle, the humankind, all that. Chapter 3, as we've seen, Satan enters the garden. Chapter 4, we're going to go to Cain and Abel and see the first two sons of, of Adam and Eve and, and what happened with them. Chapter 5, there's a bunch of, the, the people are multiplying. You see a bunch of generations. It's the boring chapter where there's a bunch of names. Chapter 6, something profound happens. Noah is in chapter 6, 7, 8, 9. Chapter 10, more generations multiplying, etc. Chapter 11 is the Tower of Babel, which we're going to look at a little bit today. And then chapter 12 is the calling of Abraham. The reason that Abraham, the calling of Abraham is important, it's a hinge in the entire Bible. Because people refer back, they're tethered back to this moment as history goes on. Because he was called the father of many nations. At that point, God enters into history and he says, I'm going to make Abraham, a father of many nations, in particular the nation of Israel. So later on, when Christ is talking to religious leaders, they make a claim, as we're going to see later today, they make a claim, well, Abraham is our father. They tether it back to this moment, a very critical moment. So we begin, we turn now to Genesis chapter 4, and I want you to watch one thing in this angle. I want you to see the craft of the softening of the absolute. Watch. And you have, to, um, you have to read through the lines a little bit here. Genesis chapter 4 and verse 4. Cain and Abel, they were bringing an offering to God. Verse 4 reads this way. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering. But on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. Now, let's hold up here for a sec. Was God having a bad morning? I mean, why, why all of a sudden would... You know, these two brothers bring an offering. One's got one, one's got another. And all of a sudden God said, no, I don't like that one. I'll tell you why. Obviously, it's implied that God had said something prior to this event. Here's how we're going to roll. Here's the kind of offerings that I would accept from you 
Period. No negotiation. You bring this type of offering. We don't even have that in the scripture, but it's implied that two brothers brought something and one was acceptable, one was not acceptable. God is not fickle. Obviously, some groundwork had been laid. Would you agree with that? Something happened here that God said, no, you remember, I said something non-negotiable to you and I expected you to follow through. Don't try to soften my absolute. Cain brought the wrong kind of offering. So Cain was very angry that God had not accepted his offering. His face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, which you already know, obviously, you will, will you not be accepted? So think about it. Here's Cain and Abel. They're out doing their thing. They're like, oh, it's, it's time to bring the offering. Now, in their mind, in Cain's mind, he knew exactly what God had said. He knew exactly what God had, had, had asked for. God does the same thing for us. You read the scripture. God asked for us with joy to say, God, my job is not mine. My house is not mine. My wallet, my clothes, nothing is mine. It's all yours. Every tree, everything that made my house, it's all yours. God says throughout the whole Old Testament, just take 10%, keep 90 of what you have, take 10% and bring it back into, into, and give it away and lose it to the community of faith. In this day and age, it's the church. Give it back. 97% of evangelical Christians can't get that. And I know ooh, I'm tiptoeing on something heavy here and, 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 and it ticks people off. It doesn't bother me. That's my job. Uh, and my job role, number 17A, tick people off, tell the truth, and we're not. And we know it. We know that we shouldn't keep everything. It's not healthy. Just like Cain, do it in this way. And yet, like Cain, in this moment, there was a softening of the absolute and a period was changed to a comma. And we say, actually, actually, I think I'll do it another way. Now we go to Genesis chapter 6, verse 1. The beginning of the story of Noah, but something profound here happens. And I'm not going to touch with a 10-foot pole in this arena because we could actually take two hours to cover it. But watch the principle. In the beginning of Acts chapter 6, we read this. When man began to multiply on the face of the land and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of men were attractive. Now, if this is a theologian's playground. There are many, many... Uh, I hear some of you chuckling like, Ooh, how are you going to interpret that, Steve? <laughs> some people say they were angels, fallen angels. Some people say they were giants, blah, blah, blah. Whatever. We, it, it, it was just, it's too mind-blowing and too heavy to get into on a Sunday morning. But what I want you to see is somewhere along the line... God told these sons of God, whomever you may see them to be, and maybe you're like, well, I don't even know what that means. It doesn't, doesn't matter. God, somewhere along the line, said to the sons of God, you do not cross the boundary with the daughters of, of man. And I'll show you why. Uh, I'll show you why I would say that. So the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive, and they took as their wives any they chose. They softened some absolute that was established. We don't even know what that establishment was, right? But we can tell something happened because in that moment, the Lord said, my spirit will not contend with humans forever. Ah, that's Hebrew for ah, 
God had a moment there like, oh, really? I can't contend with these folks. I can't contend with what's going on because I drew an absolute. You guys stay over here. The daughters of men stay over here. And somewhere along the line, you've crossed the boundary. And from that point on, things got so bad and so worse. And I've got my own interpretation and theory of what that was. Won't cover it because it's heavy. Some of you are smiling like, you chicken. You're not going Anyway, there's a line here that was crossed that was mysterious, profound, ethereal, supernatural. Something happened, but God said, don't do it. There's a line and don't cross it. And they did it. And he said, gosh, I can't contend with these folks. And annihilation happened in the flood because violent. The world turned violent because of this decision. Somewhere in the, whoever you would say, the sons of God here in this moment, somewhere in their mind, they behind the scenes the craft of the skill of the enemy came and said, did, did God actually say, don't cross the line with the daughters of men? Did he actually say that? You saw it in Adam. You saw it in Cain. You saw it here with the sons of God. We go ahead. Adam, or Noah steps off the boat in Genesis chapter 9 after the flood. God said in chapter 9 and verse 1, God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, period. New mandate, new command, new contract. I want you to fill the earth every inch. Go, go, go. Just a couple of chapters later in verse uh, chapter 11, they begin to build the Tower of Babel. Now watch why they built it. Remember, the mandate was what? Fill the earth. Chapter 11 and verse 4. Then the people said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. Did God actually say fill the earth aren't you i mean really with god if you're god wouldn't you have a palm print on your forehead saying ah really adam and eve in genesis 3 and genesis 4 and cain and good grief the sons of god in genesis 6 and there they go in genesis 11 i'm glad we're not doing 50 chapters that hurts a little bit God says in chapter 12, let's do this again, shall we? In Genesis chapter 12, we've arrived at the place where Abram is called. Now watch this. If I said, you know, the word said is a very broad term in the English language. I said yesterday, uh, let's go to the movies. Um, I said an hour ago, or I said a half an hour ago, I'm praying there's no chipwreck too coming along. 14 years ago, I, or 17 years ago, my wife said, I do. Said can mean yesterday, two minutes ago, 14 years ago. If I say I had said it's something that's not here, but it's way in the past, we get that. That's the way our language works. 
you read the story of Abraham and you just kind of assume God comes to Abraham and he says, hey, I got an idea. You're living in the land of Ur. That's you, Ur. Uh, it's not that God couldn't think of a name of a city. You're landing in uh, Ur. No, I'm just kidding. Bad joke. <laughs> Always counting on God has a sense of humor. <laughs> Could be in big trouble if he doesn't. Um, so he's living in the land of Ur. And we read the story and we think, oh, God came to Abram and said, hey, I, I, here's, here's the new plan. I'm calling you out and I want you to do a few things. Not so. Watch this. Genesis chapter 12 and verse 1. The Lord had said. Now, if you see some of your Bibles, it may just say said, but I'm guessing there's a little footnote in there because in the original language, the implication is he had said previously. Everything we have seen today has been that. God had said to Abram, Adam and Eve, one tree, don't eat it. God had said to Cain, Here's how we're going to roll with the offering. God had said to the sons of God previously, don't cross the line. God had said to the people coming off the boat, fill the earth. God had said to Abraham, here's what I want you to do. Three things. Number one, go from your country, leave your country. Number two, leave your people and your father's household. Number three, to the land I will show you. Three things, period. Now, I'm reading this story. I'm reading this passage. I'm like, that's weird. He had said it. Where did he say that? Because now it's very specific. He said, if you're reading in your Bible, you just go up one paragraph in the end of chapter 11, or you'll see it on the screen. Watch this. Terah, that was Abraham's dad. Now, in this story, you see Abram, Abraham. God changed his name later. That's a little confusing sometimes in the Old Testament. Abram, Abraham, same guy. Terah, that's Abram's father, took his son Abram, his grandson, Lot, son of Aaron, and his daughter-in-law, uh, Sarah, the wife of his son, Abram. So it was Terah, Abram's dad, Abram, Lot, Sarah. And together they set out from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan. That's where God told them to go. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. Terah lived 205 years. They they. Uh, ate a lot more healthy then. They didn't eat a Chick-fil-A and uh, a McDonald's and all that. No, Chick-fil-A is pretty cool. Actually, they didn't eat a McDonald's. Um, Tara lived 205 years and, and he died in Haran. And watch this. God had said to Abraham, leave your home, leave your father's house and go to Canaan. He got one out of three. We're told here that even though God had said, I need you to leave your father, I need you to leave his household, somewhere the craft of the skill of the enemy said, did he really actually ask you to leave your dad? Who would ask of that? I mean, who would ask anyone to leave their father? And who would ask anyone to move right to Canaan? So I got an idea. Let's soften that absolute contract. Go ahead and take your dad. Go ahead and take your nephew, Lot. That turned out great. And then move to this place called Haran. Okay, you ready? Drum roll. The names in the scripture are important. Now, when people pick our names, Stephen and, and you know, Bob and all that, we, we generally don't pick them with the same weight they did in the scripture. The name Terah. That's Abraham's father. You know what it means? Delayed. 
And you know what Haran means? The city where they settled and scholars, a lot smarter than me, got more time to study these things. They think they settled there for five years. You know what that word means, Haran? Parched. You see, God is teaching us something. When I lay a contract out to you, you have a choice as to whether you're not you're going to follow this or whether you're, you're, you are or you're not. And if you don't, I'm giving you that choice, but I promise you that you will be delayed in the rhythm of why I created you. And meantime, you're not only going to be parched, but there's going to be death. Something's going to die. Something died in the garden that day. Lots of things actually died, as we're going to see today. But something happened with Abram that he just said, you know, did God actually say it? How many times are we going to see it over and over where God puts a period and we just put a little, I don't know what that thing is, but it's, you know, we make it into a comma. And what ends up happening is that we're parched. How many people? Have I known that say, I've got to, I'm going for this job. My family's here. I'm going to move here. And, you know, my kids need to go here, blah, blah, blah. And they put that over the plan of Christ. And it all seems good. And we all say, well, God can use me anywhere. Sure he can. But did God want to use you? God could have used Abraham and Haran. But I promise you, he didn't. It wasn't the plan. And I will say something outright and just take a sidebar here and say, our family is not God. My wife cannot, will not, should not be above Christ ever. Except on Friday nights and I give her a break. (laughs) It's easy for the things that we hold dear. And we, we would not think of any... And I love my wife dearly. I love my children dearly. But there are more, some times where I'm spending more time with them than I am with Christ. And that's not the design of God. God clearly said to us, You shall have no other gods before me. Period. I don't care what it is, who it is, because you will experience a, a delay and being parched. Year after year after year after year, I could keep going through the Scriptures where all these choices, let's choose the God Baal instead of God. Let's build uh, Moses is up on the mountain getting an absolute from God, a contract from God. And the people down on the ground are having Woodstock. I mean, they're like doing rock concert, wallowing in the mud and just going at it. Let's build a golden calf. Wow, brilliant idea. You're morons. What, you, it, who thought of that? God Almighty, a gold cow. Wow. (laughs) The brilliance of our choices. As you read through the Old Testament, it's like how many times will we take the absolutes of God and say, actually, did God really say it? Humanity became in profound need of someone who would walk the planet 
and say, let me show you absolute. I particularly believe that that happened in Christ Jesus. Christ comes on the scene. And so often we love to quote him in those soft and fluffy quotes, I am the good shepherd, the sheep hear my voice. But there are some absolute statements that God, that Christ made that are, that are earth-shattering, that, are, that would be deemed narrow-minded and intolerant. If you go on a talk show, let's say it's Pierce Morgan or Larry King or, or the Today Show, and you say, this is what I believe, I promise you, I've seen it over and over. You actually believe that? Are you actually saying, are, are you actually, actually, I'm thinking, where did that word come from? I've seen that word in the scripture somewhere, actually. I mean, do you actually think that marriage is between a, a man and a woman? Actually, you would believe that nowadays. I mean, things get so nuts that we, we've lost any sense of absolutes. I mean, it's like, do you actually think that's a hand? I mean, actually, it's a, is it a hand? Is it, it's fingers, but I don't know. It could be, it could be a UFO. I don't know. I mean, you know, I mean, is it crazy? Is it just me? Or I mean, it's things have gotten so bizarre that a tree is no longer a tree. A marriage is no longer a marriage. Family is no longer a marriage. Oh God, we need clarity because somewhere along the line, We've lost our way, and Christ comes. And to those around him, they said, you know, we're the father of Abraham. How dare you say some of these intolerant, narrow-minded things? And Jesus makes this statement. Check it out. Okay, guys, Abraham's your hero. Watch this. Before Abraham, I am. Oh, it drove them nuts. It drove them nuts because I am was the most sacred name for God that over years they didn't even mention it. They never mentioned the word I am because it was so sacred. It came from Exodus chapter 3 when Moses said, God, I'm going to, you're asking me to go do something tough and I've got to go speak to the leadership of this, this foreign nation who's imposing this cruelty on us. Who do I tell them I'm representing? He said, tell them I am that I am, which means everything that exists. We don't even know how to put it into words. It's so... Uh, again, that's Hebrew. Uh, uh, how to put it into words. I am means uh, I am everything. Jesus looks at these religious folks whose hero was Abraham. He says, let me tell you something. Way before Abraham, I am. And it blew their minds. And they picked up rocks immediately to kill him. Jesus wasn't afraid of drawing a line and putting a period. He didn't say something you might think about, guys. I mean, now, I am kind of I am. Um, I would like to be I am. I would like to be I am. I am. None of that. Before Abraham, 
I am. Period. In the book of John, there are actually seven I am's. It's incredible. Oh, it'd be just nice to park on that for seven weeks. I am the good shepherd. I am the bread of life. I am. I mean, he not only was he not afraid to say it, he's actually rubbing it in. (laughs) I like him. (laughs) I like him. At the end of his life, Jesus is looking at his disciples and he said, boys, it's time for me to go. Thomas was the one that had the guts enough to raise his hand. Say, Jesus, in John chapter 14, verse 5, Lord, actually, we don't even know where you're going. And um, so how can we know the way? I would propose to you that this is the question of this generation. And I say that with great compassion. In many generations, people studied and drilled deep to come to an understanding of what they really believed. That generation is gone. And people come to a belief system and embrace eternity. They they embrace a perception of what's going to happen after this life and even during this life on the most shallow of concepts without drilling down. It's scary. It's like I I, I get life insurance for my wife and it's called Roy's Life Insurance or something. Like, really? Should you have checked that out a little bit more? Are they like a AAA program there? Who is Roy? I mean, you know what I'm saying? It's that serious. To embrace... This, this life is 80 years. How about 80,000 after you die? How about 80 million after you die? How about 80 billion after you die? So when Thomas says, look, we don't know the way, God. It is the voice of this generation. And God bless them because there have been so many choices and so many cupcakes out there that people are wide-eyed and unfortunately don't drill deep enough to say, that one sounds cool, Buddhism sounds cool, Islam sounds cool, Christianity sounds cool, I'll just pick that one. Because after all, they're actually all the same, right? The way to God, isn't it kind of actually all the same? Without drilling deep, and the, the reason that someone like me would get so passionate about this is that we are not dealing with life and death. We're dealing with eternal, endless, infinite life and death. Come on. It's one of those things where we have to say, whoa, we've fallen asleep at the wheel. Hi, I'm back. <laughs> Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. I know people sitting in this room who are giving their lives for life and death scenarios here. Spouses that have cancer, they've given everything up for them. Everything. Shouldn't we capture the same spirit for the people to, to whom we live next to? To say, dude, they, you know, if you drop dead tomorrow, that's, that, that's hard. But where is eternity here? 
And Thomas is asking a question that this generation, because they've been offered so many choices, saying, we don't know the way. Jesus, the I am, makes this statement. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Period. Get ready. No one comes to the Father except through me. Period. There is no sequel. You're narrow-minded. You're intolerant, Jesus. Yes. And I want to show you why. I want to show you why. Because that's important. When someone asks you, how can you say that? How can you say Jesus is the only one? Watch this. Here's what I believe. I know some of you do too in in the book of Acts. And there is salvation in no one else. No one else. This is an actually generation we live in. Actually, really? No one else, actually? Yes. There is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Period. First Timothy chapter 2. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. That was a little weak. Thanks very much. (laughs) There is no other. There is no other. And you think, gosh, isn't that narrow? Actually, it's freeing. Think about you're living in the garden. Now, here's the deal, Adam. You see this cactus? Now, there's a lot of cactus, but this particular one that grows a little red flower and it's got a little yellow in the middle, don't eat that one. And over here, there's, some, uh, there's, a, uh, there's a cow. Don't eat that one because, well, certain cows you can. If they're like brown, they got little spots on them. That one's cool, but not the one that's brown. And this tree over here, you can't do that. Really? Pop quiz on the Sabbath? You're like, oh, no. I'm gonna f- no, I'm going to make it easy. One choice, the tree. Don't do it. It was one man who blew it for all humanity. There is one man, Christ Jesus, that will save us. Bookend it on the curse and the blessing. One and one. That's it. No other choice. God has made it easy. Man has made it. Another Hebrew word for you. See how much you learn here at 360. <laughs> Romans chapter 15 and verse 18. Therefore, as one trespass of Adam led to condemnation for all men, mysterious, so one act of righteousness, Jesus Christ, leads to justification and a life for all men. Verse 19. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Okay, tell us why. Tell us why you would say Christ is the only way. Watch. Here's what I want you to see very carefully. Jesus does not say, let me point you to the way. He doesn't say, let me show you the way. Let me give you some religious documents. Let me give you some scriptures that will show a way. He doesn't. He says, I am the way. Watch this. Ready for your minds to be blown? 
Strap it on. Here we go. In the book of Hebrews, there is just this amazing picture for us of what happened after Christ rose from the dead. Now, I know this is going to be like a little mind-blowing, but watch this. When Christ rose from the dead, you remember that he met Mary. And Mary went to hug him and he said, don't touch me yet. Don't touch me yet. I haven't yet ascended to the Father. In the Old Testament days, the priest, the high priest, would take the sacrifice. We covered it last week, once a year, and he would go in and lay down the sacrifice before God. He was the way for the people to find forgiveness through God, right? Now watch this. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 12. After the resurrection... Christ entered once for all into the holy places. We're talking about heaven, by the way. Not by means of blood of goats and calves, which they had done for thousands of years, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. In verse 24, for Christ had entered not into holy places made with hands, like all the temples and tabernacles they had built for years and all the buildings. Watch this. Don't, don't lose it here. Not to holy places um, made by hands, which are copies of the true things. That means all the things that they had built, oh, the real estate, right? Mm-mm. The real thing is up in heaven, right? So, which are copies of the true thing, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Here's what happened. Christ died on the cross, He rose from the dead. Mary saw him, don't touch me. I haven't ascended to the Father. He comes to the Father. He's walking into heaven, which is the real holy place, presenting himself and the blood of Christ, his blood to the Father for the redemption of our sins, like was pictured year after year after year after year. Christ was the way. Do you see that? Is there anyone excited? (laughs) Look, when he says, I'm not going to show you the way, he's saying, look, I am going to make a way. I am the way. No one goes to the Father except through this avenue. Tell me in all respect for those who are religious leaders in the world, whether it's Mohammed, Joseph Smith, whether it's uh, Siddhartha Gautama, which is the, the given name for Buddha, uh, whether whoever it is, which one of those made the way with the blood into the holy place that would allow us to go? Respectfully, I say that. I believe that three things were lost, at least in the garden. The way, the truth, and life. Check that out. Let me just park on one of them. It is my sense, could be completely wrong, that every day when God walked in that garden with Adam, that he was like my little boys. That when I walk in the door every day, Those boys are like Velcro around my thighs. They come running. Except when they've done something wrong. You see, every day, it is my just sense as a parent 
than the cool of the afternoon. God the Father walked in the garden. And when my kids just hear the, the key go in the door, Dad's here. And when they hear the, when Adam and Eve heard the rustling of the leaves of God the Father walking in the garden, Dad's here. Woo! Ah, Velcro. That's just my version. There may be another. But there was something that differently, you can't deny something differently happened that day, that that way was impeded. They no longer could run to the Father. They hid. They were ashamed. They were naked. The way had stopped. For thousands of years, they themselves couldn't run and embrace God. God was behind this veil, this holy of holies. Christ dies on the cross and that veil is ripped in half and Christ presents himself as the way to God. And he says, come on in. The way is open again. Happy Palm Sunday. That's it, man. Now, get out of here. I'm telling you. No, I'm just kidding. Listen. The compassion that we have for the world is that there are so many choices that this craft and the skill of the enemy actually, actually. But when I look at the scriptures, I'm like, Christ is the only one who has made a way. Now, I don't know if any of you live in Clearwater. I'm about to offend you. But when, they, when somebody, the, the city engineers, mapped out to um, Clearwater, I think they got together and said, now, how can we make this more confusing? Um, because I was going there for an event last week, and, you know, there's, there's, um, there's 686, and then there's 688, and then there's 686 again, and then there's 686 again. I mean... You keep driving, you think, is this Groundhog Day? I swear I just saw 686 because I was trying to get on 686. I'm like, I missed that one. Oh, cool, there's another one. That's weird. <laughs> I'm not east and west, but 686 west. And then the next exit is, well, 686 west. And then they throw a 688 in there. And I, I mean, it was so, I got so confused that, you know, sometimes when a road goes like this, I pulled right in the middle and I parked my car. I had Google Maps, you know, the kind that has the blue line. And, you know, I had the blown up version and because and I get lost every time I go there. I had the, the kind that prints out the directions, you know, that says travel zero or point zero three miles. And you figure out, oh, that's the exit ramp. That's confusing. And you're trying to figure it out. And I, had, I literally had 11 papers while I'm driving and, and I, I just I can't do it. You see a map. Religious concepts are not enough. I look at Gandhi and Muhammad and Buddha and they said some very true things. There are some true statements that they said. Not everything they said was false. That's the trick. I had to pull over. There's so many choices I had to pull over. Okay, fast forward to last Thursday night. I was going to visit one of our act groups and go in and speak with them and, and, and brainstorm and do some ideas. I get lost very easily. I'm sitting at this gate in this neighborhood. And um, 
And I'm, I'm sitting out there. I'm trying to figure out how they didn't give me a gate code. And I'm calling and, and I finally get the person on the, in the ad group. And, hey, I'm sitting at the, out of the gate. And goes, you're at the wrong gate. There will be another message in the future. I'm sitting at the wrong gate. <laughs> and she goes, oh, you got to go to the other gate. I'm like, okay. So I go to the other gate. And she goes, now, here's what you do. You go through the gate. You go to a stop sign. You hang a left. And when you go to the left, you'll hit two other stop signs. You hit a right. Then after you do a right, you'll have a curve, kind of curvy thing over there, and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, it's dark, number one. <laughs> it's me, number two. I'm going to get lost. <laughs> so she said, here's what I'll do for you. I'll send someone from our act group down, and he'll meet you at the gate. And what you do is you follow him, and he'll make a way. You get it, right? Thomas said so of what so many people would say today. I don't know the way. They're not saying it defiantly. They're saying it like that puppy who's got a confused look in his eye. I don't know the way. I'm lost here. And Jesus says these words, I am, period. And at that moment, humanity should take a deep breath. Okay, cool. Cool. Maybe you come and say, dude, I'm lost, man. I, I, uh, there's, so much, there's so much traffic going on in my head. Let me give you some good news. There's one choice. Period. It may be the best word of your life. Period. Not a lot. Just one. Period. I challenge you to dig deep and to drill deep. Period. When Jesus was on the cross, he uttered these three important words. And when you think in light of everything that was broken in the garden and everything that he restored, they mean so much. It is finished. Period. God, thank you for this word today. Oh, God, thank you that there's only one way. Thank you, Father, that you never set out to confuse us. Thank you, Father, that we don't have to find the way, that you've made a way. Thank you, God, that Christ did not show us a way, that he is the way. Thank you, Jesus, that you have done something for us that we ourselves would never dream of any potential of doing. That you've taken your blood, your sacrifice, and you've walked into the real temple, the Holy of Holies of Heaven, and laid down this offering, this absolute offering for the forgiveness of our sins. And what you've asked us to do is simply follow.
is simply to receive. God, I pray for those in this room today that have lost their way. And all they would say is, I want to know Christ the way. I want to know Him. I'm tired of actually making excuses. I'm tired of actually coming up with so many choices. Today, God, You've illuminated, You've brought to mind something crystal clear that Christ is the way. We're praying, everyone praying in this room. In this moment of prayer, I'm going to ask, are there those that would just slip their hand up and slip it right back down and say, I want Christ today. I want Christ. No one is looking. It would be, yes, thank you. Yes, thank you. Yes. People all over this room saying, I want Christ. Anyone else that would say, I want Christ in my life. Father, thank you for this moment. These are life and death moments, God. Life and death moments. I thank you for those who would say, I, I want to go into life. I want to experience the life of Christ. I pray for those of us who are following you, God, that can get so conglomerated with the traffic of actuallys in our life. Help us, Father, to know, put no other gods above you, period. And Father, we are thankful that in these confusing times where absolutes ebb away, that you remain unchanged as the way. In Jesus' name, amen.